Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's episode is an interview with Alana Wicks. Alana Wicks holds a BA in Folklore and Cultural Anthropology and an MA in Public Folklore, both from Memorial University. She's been working and volunteering in the field of culture and heritage since 2006 in both Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. She works with the Association of Newfoundland and Labrador Archives and volunteers regularly with archives within the community. In March 2015, Alana organized and moderated the province's first Youth Heritage Forum. We spoke to Alana earlier this year at the Heritage Foundation office on Springdale Street in St. John's. Alana, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for having me. To start off, tell us a little about how you first became interested in the heritage sector. Um, it really sort of happened academically. Uh, I started university and I was already interested in archaeology, so I sort of started within the sciences, I guess. Uh, found out I wasn't great at archaeology, but happened to do some anthropology along the way and uh, kind of just got really passionate about it through coursework. Uh, and then did some cross-listed courses that were folklore and anthropology based and it all kind of went from there. So why did you decide to shift from cultural anthropology into public folklore? Right. Uh, I had always been sort of more involved in public projects anyway, even within my cultural anthropology work. Uh, everything was sort of leaning towards public work, and my professors kept saying, you know, <laughs> you need to really back in a little bit and talk more about the cultural side of an, an academic work, and it just wasn't working for me, so I decided to switch on over to public folklore. Okay. For, for those who are unfamiliar with the term public folklore, what are some of the things that a public folklorist might do? Uh, community engagement is huge in public folklore. Uh, working with your community on different projects. You mentioned the Youth Heritage Forum, so talking to youth throughout the community who are already interested in heritage and bringing them together and giving them a chance to sort of talk amongst themselves about what they're passionate about. As part of your MA work in public folklore, you had to do internships. It's a cooperative internship program. What were some of the tasks or jobs that you had to do with your internships? Well, I had done sort of a specialization in archives early on in my graduate program, so I worked with the City of St. John's Archives. Um, there I got to really kind of work both with the public and with public records. Um, because it is a municipal archive, we sort of have the city's records at our fingertips, which is really interesting. Um, I also had sort of a out of out of my box experience with the Historic Sites Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, with them, I worked as a public, oh, sorry, a public folklorist, but I was their cultural product development officer. So I worked with different artists and artisans throughout communities throughout Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and tried to sort of come up with these cultural products that we could sell in the heritage shops, and they're a non-for-profit organization. Were there any particular skills that you learned through your education or work that have been most useful to you so far in your career? Absolutely. Um, it's funny. I think that just being able to comfortably talk with the public has been the skill that's been most applicable and most beneficial after leaving university. Um, I think a lot of students, they sort of get stuck in their bubble within their coursework, within their you know, departments, and they're not really looking outside of those walls and talking to 
members of their community. Within the public folklore program, we're taught and then sort of forced to start getting out there and, and cold calling people and talking to members of the community and stopping people on the street and saying, hey, what do you know about, you know, this story of this guy down the street here? Um, and that's been absolutely the most beneficial to me because within my work in archives, I speak to people every day, whether they're looking to do research or whether I'm looking to gain materials from them. And when I was with historic sites, again, calling all different communities, people I had never met and trying to carry on conversations with them about work that's really personal to them. Being able to sort of comfortably engage with your community is certainly important. And then I guess you could sort of talk about more technical things like, you know, writing skills. Those are always important in, in sort of everything that you do. And as a public folklorist, you're constantly, you, you might write for a paper, you might write for a blog, you might write for a peer-reviewed journal. So it's always important. On March 7th, 2015, you moderated the province's first Youth Heritage Forum. Can you tell me why the Youth Heritage Forum was created? Uh, the Youth Heritage Forum sort of came from this need for youth who are passionate about heritage to have somewhere to come together and talk about their place in this world of heritage. To my knowledge, there hasn't really been anything locally within Newfoundland and Labrador that's given youth this sort of opportunity. Um, you know, there have been conferences and AGMs with different organizations where youth are, are welcome to attend, but it's not specifically for youth. Um, so with the Youth Heritage Forum, you could come together sort of in this comfortable, informal atmosphere and talk about, you know, the challenges that they face, where they fit into the world of heritage, and what maybe organizations should be doing to be a bit more inclusive. Okay, so walk us through the day of the Youth Heritage Forum. What what happened? Sure. Uh, it was a really great day, and everybody seemed to really enjoy themselves. So the day started off with um, kind of amazing performance by a First Nations drum group. Uh, we just wanted to sort of start the day kind of on a lighter note, on a, a kind of easy reason. It was a Saturday. We had a lot of youth coming out, so we wanted to sort of kick it off in a fun way. So we had um, Eastern Owl all-women's drum group perform, and they were really fantastic. After that, we kind of got down to business with a panel of young people currently working in the heritage sector. Uh, we had six young women who are very involved, but in all sort of different ways within heritage. And they spoke a little bit about how they got into the field, um, the work that they're doing right now, and then they took questions from the audience, which was really kind of great. Um, participants had a chance to sort of ask them how they broke into the field, how they move forward, and, and all these things that everybody was really there to talk about. Uh, from there, we sort of went into what we called a conversation cafe. So it was a breakout session, and we asked our participants four different questions throughout the day. And they were sort of seated around the room at different tables, and there was a moderator at every table. So they could kind of speak openly, and the moderator would take notes so they didn't have to worry too much about, you know, keeping track of how the day was going. So we asked the participants, you know, what role can youth play within heritage, the challenges that youth face when breaking into heritage sector, 
The sort of big question that we really wanted to focus on was what recommendations do youth give to heritage organizations to be more youth inclusive? And then we clued it up by asking what were the most exciting and inspiring things that they heard throughout the day. So, so what were the most exciting things? What were some of the themes that, that emerged in the discussions? Yeah, the biggest theme was really uh, the fact that everybody was there, um, that we had 60 participants come, 60 young participants, 18 to 35 was our, our sort of age range. Uh, and it was just really exciting to have everybody there. Everybody was very engaged, really excited to talk about heritage. You mentioned challenges. So this is one of the things that the youth discussed at the forum. What are some of the challenges faced by young people who who really want to get engaged in the heritage sector? Well, I mean, there's there's the age-old lack of opportunity and lack of funding, and that was something that we knew was going to come up, but we didn't want to focus heavily on because everybody's going through that, and it's not a whole lot we can do to change it. Uh, outside of that, they faced a lot of sort of ageism, this idea that you're young, so you are you have this feeling of entitlement, you're lazy, you're not skilled, you don't have the education, which we found out wasn't true whatsoever. They had, you know, a lot of young people, they, they don't know how to break into an heritage organization. So being able to find not just employment opportunities, but volunteer mentorships, and even workshops are hard to come by. So, so how, do they, how do they break in? Well, <laughs> this is sort of what we, we wanted to talk about, and, and these we asked them, what recommendations do you give to heritage organizations to sort of give you this, this foot forward where you can sort of break in? Um, the biggest kind of idea that came from the day was that it's up to heritage organizations to offer these opportunities whether they be employment opportunities, volunteer opportunities, mentorships, programming, anything. Youth just need to have the opportunity to get into an organization. Even, you know, opening up a youth seat on a board of directors or on a committee could be huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, So what do youth feel that they have to offer heritage organizations? You talked about there's kind of this perception maybe by the established community, but what youth are or are not. What what skills do youth have, or what what approaches do youth bring to the table? Sure. Well, the youth that were at our forum were all so enthusiastic, and the sort of common themes and skills that came up were technology was huge. Social media, multimedia, digitization was a big topic of the day. They found that a lot of organizations that they approached were worried about digitizing the materials, but they're sort of really confident, young people are really confident about digitization and, and how that can benefit an organization. Is that something that you see as an archivist, that digitization is becoming more of a reality? It is becoming more of a reality, but I do understand where our participants were coming from, where they're facing this sort of, of backlash or of you know smaller organizations saying, oh, we're not sure, we don't want to lose our records, we don't really trust it where we have young people who are, are thoroughly trained in digitization and know sort of these great things that can come from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, bigger organizations are sort of accepting it and taking it on, but we're still we're still working with, with the smaller organizations. Are there, are there things that organizations should not do uh, if they want to engage youth? Are there, are there, or are there things that they're doing incorrectly? Sure. Um, 
I, I don't know that it's ill intent, but I think some organizations think that they already know what youth want from from participation in these sort of organizations, and they're they're sort of trying to tell young people how to be a part of the organization, which is is great if they're trying to take this next step and bring young people in, but it doesn't always work that way. They need to sort of step back and be willing to hear from young people and, and be open and willing to these new concepts and ideas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you talk about organizations being kind of more open and willing to listen to youth. You mentioned maybe organizations could create uh, volunteer positions on, on boards. Are there other tips or, or, or you know, suggestions that, that the youth at the forum or that you would make to organizations? Yeah, yeah. Um, the idea of being social and being engaging with youth was kind of huge. I know that some organizations, they have mailing lists and they sort of will put out their notices in the newspaper and that sort of thing, but those aren't really the mediums that are, are targeting youth right now. A lot of our participants said, you know, I would love to volunteer with an organization, but I can't find them on Facebook or I can't find them on Twitter and I just don't know how to get in touch with them. And really, that's reality right now. So yeah, they, they need to be more social, I guess, and they, they really need to, I think the biggest thing is they need to be open to young people coming into the organizations, and they just need to sort of give young people the credit where credit is due. Uh, so what will happen next with the Youth Heritage Forum? What, what do you hope will grow out of it? Well, we had a lot of participants who were really interested in keeping this sort of ball rolling, um, and we actually had a sit down at the end of the day and said, where can we go from here? Um, and we decided to create a Facebook group, uh, and you can find it. It's called Youth Heritage Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's sort of to bring youth together who are interested in heritage and working within heritage and just want to be involved. Uh, and from there, we can sort of discuss new projects that might, you know, happen in the future. Already at the end of the day, people were talking about the next Youth Heritage Forum and where we could have it and who could be involved and and all the different things that could happen there. So, you know, enthusiasm stayed high throughout the day and it's still going, which Mm -hmm. is really, really great. You talked about social media a couple times. How did you use social media in planning and organizing the conference? It was really integral to to getting our participants to the forum. We we sort of did everything that you do when you're planning a forum and you want people to come. So we did a media blast and we sent it to the paper and we sent it to all the, anybody who would take it. Uh, but we also made a Facebook event. Uh, and that was sort of where people joined and they could get information and they shared it with their friends and then we could contact them with news that happened during planning and that and and even when somebody would sort of email me and say yeah I'm really interested in this forum I saw it on the poster because we had posters made and those went up as well and I'd like to know a bit more about it I would say well we have this Facebook event and a blog because we we also did blog entries uh, and that is where people really connected to it because they, they joined and then they got the notifications and it was just sort of a, a little reminder along the way that the forum was coming up. How did you use the blog? We did a couple different things with the blog. Um, we had a section on our blog that was just sort of the, the main information for the day. This is where it was going to be. This is the time. This is what we're doing. But we also had our guest panelists uh sort of write a little bio about themselves and answer the question, why are you passionate about heritage? And for each of our panelists, we did a blog entry each week leading up to 
to the forum. And that sort of kept people engaged and kept people interested. Um, and then anything, you know, we had our poster done, so we made a blog about, here's our poster, share it with your friends, and that sort of thing. So it was just a good way to keep people interested. And then those blog entries you could also post to Facebook and Twitter and sort of saturating social media. Yeah, I wanted to ask about Twitter because you use social media to promote to promote the event leading up to the event, but then you also incorporated Twitter during the day. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, and that was actually really successful throughout the day. There's a couple different programs you can use, but I believe we use Twitterfall, which is you, you we created a hashtag for the day and we used that leading up to the day and it was YHF fifteen or twenty fifteen. And so we asked our participants in the morning, tweet, live tweet the day, you know, tweet about what you're talking about at your table, or if you want to ask a question, tweet it, or talk about how great lunch was, just, you know, tweet throughout the day. Uh, and this this great program, Twitterfall, you kind of punch in the hashtag, and then we had it projected throughout the day up on the wall, and everybody could sort of follow along and live tweet. It was great. So and we had some participants who actually couldn't come. Uh, they found out a couple days before, but they could still follow along with the day, and, and it, was, it was really a lot of fun. So it was interactive both for the people who were in the room and also beyond the room. Yes, absolutely, yeah. We actually had a lot of people uh, maybe outside of the age range that couldn't come or just couldn't come for other other reasons, and they were all sort of responding and retweeting and, and following along throughout the day. It was, it was great. Yeah. Do you see other heritage organizations taking that approach? I haven't seen many. Uh, I know I know that they try, and I, I do have some heritage organizations I follow on Facebook and those sort of things. And once in a while, you'll see something pop up, but nothing really consistent. Heritage Foundation Newfoundland Labrador, the ICH office, they certainly do, and and there's always kind of new and interesting things popping up there on their blog and. Twitter and all over the place, which is great, uh, but you don't you don't see a lot of it, or I haven't personally. And do you think that's instrumental in keeping youth? Interested? I do, I do. I think it really is. And again, I you know I kind of mentioned that uh, an organization will put something up once in a while, and you almost forget that they're there on in between. It really needs to be sort of a constant thing, keep people engaged, and that's what we're trying to do with uh, with Youth Heritage Newfoundland and Labrador Group as well. Yeah. What would you like to see happen, you know, a year or two years from now? How would you like to see youth engage more? Well, I'd really love to see our sort of youth heritage Newfoundland and Labrador become its own heritage organization or heritage committee. I think bringing together all of these youth that are, are engaged and, and sort of ready to do heritage is kind of powerful, and, and I think they do have the ability to kind of take in and run with it. Were there were there challenges that you had in bringing the forum together? I have to say, because our participants were so eager, I think it made my job a little bit easier. Um, I mean, I faced a couple things here and there with people that didn't necessarily fall within the age range that we had decided upon who wanted to come and sort of explaining to them why it was that we, we picked the ages we did and that sort of thing. But but really, I think we were quite lucky with, with how the forum went. It was, it was a breeze. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that age range and, and why you picked that particular age range? Sure. Well, it was it was a, a little bit difficult to sort of decide because we're talking about youth and that can be really across the board. So we 
we discussed having high school students come and we discussed what the cutoff range would be and is 35 really considered youth and we had some participants who were really excited that they were still youth for, for the day and that sort of thing. Um, but we decided on 18 to 35 because that's where young people are deciding sort of where they want their future to go, for one. And then we have the sort of 25 to 35 who are coming out of university or coming out of their different programs and trying to still break into the field. Um, and that does not stop at 30, unfortunately, in the heritage field. Um, I mean, we probably could have gone to 45 and still had tons of people trying to break into heritage um, at that age. So it just it seemed to work for us that 18 to 35 was where we wanted to focus our attention, and those were the people that were sort of kind of striving to to figure out their place in the field. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the range of people that came to the forum and participated? Yeah, that was very interesting. So we put out a call for... Um, you know, participants fairly early and they, they sort of started to trickle in over time and they kept coming in and I, I would say, well, I've, I've never, cause in heritage, you kind of, you see the same people a lot of the time and you kind of know who's in your bubble. And these forums, these registration forms would come in and I'd say, I've never heard this name before. This person's background is psychology and this person's background is, you know, science and every, every, People were kind of coming from all over, and I, I would I would write them and say, so you know, what what's your area of interest in heritage? And they would say, well, you know, just cultural studies or ballads or public engagement or ICH and all these different things. So that was kind of really really interesting. Um, and then when it all came together and we had all of our participants, we had a huge mix of of different backgrounds. We expected the folklorists, and we expected the historians, but we had people from all different organizations, uh, you know, um, women's engagement or the immigration societies and that sort of thing. So it was it was great to see everybody come together. And everybody really was interested in heritage. It wasn't just something they heard about and said, oh, I think I'll go to this. They all had something to say. And so what does that do for the conversation when you have people from all these different disciplines or backgrounds? Yeah. It was, well, it wasn't just the same conversation over and over again, which was really great. And we saw a lot of that with uh, the question and answer period after the panel. Um, we had people sort of stand up and talk about, um, you know, how heritage in Newfoundland and Labrador oftentimes is only talked about heritage in Newfoundland and Labrador. We're not talking about heritage outside of the province. And we had people that had come from outside of the province and were really engaged in heritage. So that was a neat conversation to have. Uh, we talked about heritage and science and exploration and, and that sort of thing and where we can go with that. So it was it was a, a, a huge sort of mix in it. It was great. Yeah. It was really great. I think sometimes in the heritage sector, we we get put in our little silos. You know, the archaeologists talk to the archaeologists, the architects yeah. talk to the architects, the, the archives people talk to the archives people. Yeah. So this kind of cross-pollination, I think, is a good um, is a good thing for the sector broadly. Yes, it's a fantastic thing. We had participants sort of look at each other throughout the day and say, I'd really like to have a conversation with you. And I, we're from totally different backgrounds, but the work that we're doing is is sort of, 
the same, which is really, it was great to see. Yeah. yeah. Would you do anything differently if you were going to organize the conference again? Uh, I think if we were going to organize it again, um, I probably would have had more time for participants to sort of, uh, a bit more of a Q&A, I suppose, with not just the the panel, but with each other, because there were so many people from different backgrounds, and people, like I said, were finding each other throughout the day and saying, oh, I wish we had more time to, like, to chat about this. Um, I also would have focused a bit more on the recommendations from youth. Uh, we had a 45-minute a period for, for our participants to discuss it, but I would have liked for them to maybe pick their top three recommendations that day and then present those at the end of the day, uh, because we had our moderators present the sort of top three most inspiring ideas from the whole day, but we didn't have them talk too much about the recommendations, which is really... Uh, what we were striving to get out of the out of the forum. If someone was organizing some kind of youth conference, uh, are there any practical tips you would give them? What what worked? What did people like about sure. the conference? People liked that it was informal. They liked that they didn't have to sort of sit down all day and listen to people talk. They got to, to have a voice that day. Um, people <laughs> really. This is sort of a little off topic, but we had a really great sort of lunch that wasn't just sandwiches um, by multi-ethnic food kitchen and people wouldn't stop talking about that so that became its own topic of conversation throughout the day um, use social media it's so important it keeps people going it keeps people engaged and have your participants talk to each other again people don't want to be talked at all day so they they like that the energy was was sort of kept high by being able to talk to each other and get excited and meet new people and network. And that sort of... If you could give one piece of advice to young people passionate about the heritage sector through this podcast, what piece of advice would you give them? What would you tell young people who think they might want to get involved in heritage? Sure. I think if, you, if you're passionate about heritage, then you know you want to get involved. And I think... Don't don't let these challenges because there are challenges when trying to break into the heritage sector. It's not always easy. You're not always going to have a steady full time job. But if you're passionate about it and you want this to be a part of your life, just keep working, keep working towards it, and and hopefully with you know these sort of forums will make it a little bit easier for youth trying to get into heritage. That's great. Thank you very much, Lena. Thanks, Dale. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening.